You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. And let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 6, checking out a couple of verses. And um, as you're making your way over there, I know the, uh, the talk around town uh, seems to be focused on right now of uh, events relating to or questions relating to uh, this worldwide pandemic and the coronavirus. We're living, of course, in California. Uh, if you're tuning in live uh, with us, welcome, 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 wherever you might be. But uh, here in, in California, we're, we're scratching our heads a little bit with some new restrictions that our governor has placed on our county here, Orange County, and some of the surrounding counties that have had a rise in uh, COVID-19 cases. And um, these restrictions, as we read them, bring somewhat of a disruption to all of our lives. They alter all of our lives to some extent. And um, it, it is a bit bizarre to hear um, governmental officials around our nation telling citizens living in a free society, how they should not gather in public settings uh, or how they should gather in public settings and the limitations on public settings and even in their own homes. Um, I have a friend living in, in Oregon. And Mike, if you're listening, God bless you. We're praying for you. Uh, we're not far behind you. Washington, California seem to be following a lot of what's going on in, in um, Oregon. But um, in Oregon, he sent me a text the other night saying, look at what we're under now where all indoor social gatherings with people outside of your household are prohibited unless everyone quarantines for two weeks and tests negative for COVID-19. Could you imagine gathering with people and say, did you quarantine uh, for two weeks before you said hello to me? Um, outside social gatherings are limited to five people from outside your household. Any large Thanksgiving celebrations throughout the state of Oregon have been canceled. Um, they are threatening criminal sanctions against those who gather in groups larger than six in private homes between November 18th and December 2nd, effectively prohibiting Thanksgiving Day gatherings statewide. Um, California here, uh, they pumped the brakes as well, and they've reduced... Uh, you know, gatherings even in retail spaces to um, 25%. Um, all worship centers have been directed outdoors, limited in size, and we can go down the list. Um, I'm setting up where we're going in our study, but I also want to say that in no way do I want to downplay the seriousness of a worldwide pandemic. Um, people have died from it. People get very sick from it. Some are hospitalized. Uh, the number of people testing positive in our county is rising. There's all, all kinds of conjecture as to why that is. I'm not here to, to argue one case or another or to give you even my personal uh, read on all of this. But, um, you know, if you are part of that more vulnerable category, the older in age, um, the health compromised, we would say be wise, be prayerful, take the necessary precautions to stay uh, healthy and COVID-free. And I would also like to address our church body at large. Most of you are watching online. Uh, if you need any help from our church, as we have said for the last eight months, 
Um, we will continue to be here for you. Um, we are here holding office hours. All of our staff is on hand. Lots of volunteers here as well. Still doing our porch ministry. And I'm here to answer calls, do counseling, house visits, uh, whatever you want. Just call the church. We're here Monday through Friday, uh, 10 to 4, and of course uh, around uh, service times. But as Christians, as a church living through a worldwide pandemic, we want to be sensitive, we want to be compassionate, we also want to be vigilant in our response to uh, the body and to our community at large, which might even include people outside of our area watching online. So that being said, we would ask and we covet your prayers. We ask that you would talk to God on our behalf and on behalf of our, our, our community here called Calvary La Habra and our community at large, the city of La Habra and surrounding cities as well. And just as we're leading here, we would just ask that God would give us wisdom and we would we would covet you partnering with us and asking God uh, to give us wisdom as we are navigating through these um, changes. I know a lot of people have all kinds of opinion on this, uh, but I just want to really hear from God as he has spoken to us and given us wisdom and vision and favor and health. Please pray that we would continue to experience all of this. How many of you guys all know both on our property and abroad, that this too will pass. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season. There's a duration, another translation would say. A time, a point in time, for every purpose. And that's speaking of people and their deliberate, willful acts under heaven. I think... Most of us understand that, that, that times and seasons are a regular part of our life no matter where we live, no matter what we are going through. The question is, do we believe God is behind every season, every part of every season? Well, in the Ecclesiastes, Solomon did. He saw God's overruling providence and divine purpose intricately woven in every part of our life. From before our birth to the moment of our death, he saw God as accomplishing his divine purpose, even though we might not always see it, recognize it, or even understand what he is doing. In that whole passage, he will give 14 examples of life in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where basically he's showing God at work in our individual lives, seeking to accomplish his will. And so all of these events come from God or allowed by God, and they are good in their time because God is in it. We might not like the pandemic, but as uh, we said early on, uh, clear back in March, we believe that God allows all things, and we want to learn. We don't want to come out of this and not learn what God was desiring to teach us. We don't want our faith to become anything less than what God intended to do with our faith, to grow our faith and mature our faith. And so um, as a church, it's the same. I, I, I just, we want to lean in and we want to find God's purpose in all of this. Uh, we want to see what God desires for us as a church. As um, I began to talk about this with the Lord on Sunday night, I got a few texts that were uh, leading me to believe that we were going to be uh, changing 
uh, the status of uh, the governor's, governor's order changing us from red to purple. I just began to pray and talk to the Lord about how this would affect, you know, the Cook household and, and uh, more importantly, I shifted right over to our staff and, and our church and said, Lord, I just uh, really want to hear from you. Um, we had these new orders that are going to be coming down from our governor and, and um, I just, you know, I kept sensing the Lord saying, and, and this is for me and for you, don't lose heart. Just don't lose heart. And I wrote it down, and, and there's several scriptures I want to you know, run through, but um, all of them were like a Bible study in themselves, and I had to land on one because we only have so much time tonight. So uh, over in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we'll, we'll break this apart. So turn your way over to that, that passage, and I'll, I'll set it up. But let me read it. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The background of Galatians, it's quite simple. It's salvation. The theme throughout the book is all about salvation. Salvation by grace, through faith, not of works. This was the message that Paul had brought to the people living in his day in what they called the region of Galatia. It would be what we would look at today as modern-day Turkey. This was radical, groundbreaking news to Jew and Gentile alike. The gospel message was a liberating message. As they heard it, as they began to experience the life-changing power of the gospel, which we note as good news, what is the gospel? It is that, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus Christ, he was born, he died on a cross, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And that believing that, we would no longer be in our sins. He would go on to say, people who have died before us would not be lost, but they would be in heaven with our Heavenly Father. And we who are preaching that good news, we who are preaching the gospel, are not crazy lunatics running around saying things that aren't true because, in fact, they are true. When they heard that message, those that believe that message, from that point to our point today, 2,000 years later, they find themselves liberated in so many different ways. The gospel message is a liberating message. It is a message that brought spiritual freedom to the Jews because the Jews were living under the weight and the bondage of legalism that was promoted through Judaism. It brought incredible spiritual freedom to the Gentiles who were living under the weight and the bondage of paganism. After Paul would come and preach to individuals and churches would start, specifically in the area, the region of Galatia, he would leave. And there would be these individuals that would 
I would say, slither into the church behind Paul. They would creep in, almost unnoticed at first. But give them time and they will, they will share what they believe. To hear them at first, you would maybe conclude that they're not so bad. They believed in Jesus. They would tell you so. They believed in the deity of Christ. They believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They believed a lot of what Paul had talked about as it related to Christ. But what they would do is they would, they would add to that. They would draw on the simple mind. And you might say in the early church, the first believing Christians, everybody had somewhat of a, a simplistic understanding of the gospel. It was new to them. And so these real smart guys would come along and say, well, it's great that you have found salvation in Christ, but if you really want your salvation to be complete, and man, did they add to the gospel. And the moment that you add something to the good news and you alter good news, guess what? It is no longer good news. <laughs> and so what they added was rules and regulations. They chose specific parts of the Mosaic law and said that you needed to follow this. You needed to fall in line with this. You needed to keep these dietary regulations and these special days and whatnot. And they, they took the message that Paul brought, that brought such freedom and liberation, putting your faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work that he has accomplished for you on the cross they marginalized that and said, now you've got to add to that and do some work on your own in order to make your salvation complete. They mixed the law with the message of grace. It's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ when you do that. It's no longer a message of Christian liberty when you do that. It's no longer a message that unshackles people and liberates people and sets them free when you shackle them with now works that they must do in order to be saved. That's why in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul marveled the Greek word thalmatso. He marveled or he was astonished. He was, we would say, flabbergasted. He was stunned that these, these Christians in Galatia would turn from the simplicity of the gospel to what Paul called a perverted or distorted gospel that the Judaizers taught. And understand that, and the parallels coming, but understand that the gospel has always had opponents. In Paul's day, there were lots of opponents, but these guys, you might say, were at the top of the list. The Judaizers radically opposed Paul. They did everything in their power to discredit Paul. They did everything in their power to discredit Paul's message. Satan has never stopped trying to discredit a true, genuine believer of Jesus Christ. He has never tried, stopped trying to discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, Paul was forced to defend himself to stand up for who he was in Christ and to stand up for the message of Christ. In chapters 1 and 2, well, actually back in chapter 1, Paul would say in verses 11 and 12, 
But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. There were people that were coming and saying, Paul's kind of making it up as he's going. They're trying to minimize the fact that the message he was preaching was a message from God himself. Well, Paul would say in verse 12, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we today, as we are finding ourselves as Christians and as those that promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to have that same conviction as to what God's word is. We have people opposing us. We have people opposing our message. And we need to stand firm that this is the inerrant, inspired, eternal word of God. And Paul would defend the fact that his calling was from God. And he lived with that conviction. He lived with that passion. He was immovable because of that. In chapter 1, verse 15, he would say, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And he would go on. He wanted people to know that what he did, he was doing because it was a calling of God upon his life. And he moved with that conviction. And again, he was, he was immovable because of that conviction. Then in chapter 3, Paul would turn his attention to, to the Galatians. Because some of them were, were being fooled by Paul's opponents. By the opponents of Christ. And, and he would even say to, to some of the, the Galatians, oh, oh foolish Galatians. And I, I don't know if I've shared here, I've talked in, in different settings, but I, I, I was talking to Lori the other day about, it just kind of hit me, it was a profound moment in my day, but I was thinking about the word foolishness and fools and whatnot. My mind kind of meandered through the book of Proverbs and all of the different ways that Fools are identified by their behavior, by their conduct, by their decisions, by their, 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 their speech, by their actions. And I just was talking out loud to Lori about all of this. And then and they said, but then there's just fools who have done none of that, but they've been, they've been fooled. And, 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 I, and I said, I just wonder after, you know, all of this election and all of this, you know, pandemic blows over, how many Christians will feel like fools because they believed everything they heard and they acted on that. They, they acted on the narrative of the world, the, the, the word of the world, everything that the world said, everything that the governor said, everything that, that, that I don't want to get into it, but the Fauci's of the world had to say, they just like, they were all over it. And then, and then you know, sooner or later, the evidence is going to come and, and the dust is going to settle and we're really going to see you know, the facts. And I know it's hard for some of us to, to know that this could alter our faith, but it can, and it does, and it is. And I think there's a strong parallel here. A lot of... Satan is going to use whatever he can in this world today to oppose our faith. He's going to use whatever voice. He's going to use whatever is happening in the world that would, that would rock a Christian's faith alter Christian's faith, he is going to use it. And don't you question at all the fact that he is not using this pandemic. He is. And so, in their day, it was Satan using, Satan working behind these Judaizers. In our day, 
You fill in the blank. The thing is, I just don't want to go through a season where anyone would look at me and go, that guy's a fool. That guy's been fooled. That guy's been baffooned. I, I want my wife, my kids, I want you guys to, to look at me and I want you to say, there's a man of faith, not a man of fear. There's a person that, you know, hears from God and is standing strong upon the word of God. But anyway, Paul would, would, would say, oh, foolish Galatians. And the idea behind that in the Greek is being empty-headed. And then he would say, who has bewitched you? Who has seduced you? Who has pulled the wool over your eyes? That you should not obey the truth in chapter 3, verse 1. Who, who is, who's just opposed you to the point and, and deceived you to the point and pulled the wool over your eyes to the point where you're no longer obeying the word of God? That's what he's saying. And I think that is in a very appropriate consideration to the body of Christ at large today that's dealing with this pandemic. When he's talking about the truth, he's referring here to the gospel and the liberation that it's brought to their life. A, a, a truth that, that he says in, in chapter 3 that was clearly portrayed to you, was billboarded. I came and I was very clear. And the transformation you saw in my life and the transformation that you saw in the lives of, of people who believed the gospel showed that, that God was genuinely doing a, a work in their lives that, that he was now the Lord over their lives. He was the, the persuasion and the, the, the leading force and director over all of our lives. It was billboarded in front of you was the idea. Well, then, then, then who's, who's come along and pulled the wool over your eyes to where that is no longer who you are, that's no longer what you think, and, and, and there's been an alteration to that. These false teachers, they came in. The voices became louder than Paul's and even louder than the Lord's. He's like, you're not using your heads. You're acting like fools. Then in chapter 5, he brings them back to the topic of Christian freedom. And he tells them, look it, you need to start living like you're actually free. And I like this verse, and you can write this down. Chapter 5, verse 1, or highlight it, where it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Listen, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I would even say, don't be entangled with any yoke of bondage, whether it's something from the past, present, or future. Start living like you're free. Start living like you are a, a true son or daughter of Christ. And then he goes on to say, listen, in chapter 5, verse 16, you need to start walking in the Spirit. Verse 18, you need to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, you, you need to be living in the Spirit. And, and on Sunday morning, that's, that's, if you were listening, that's where I was going with this whole, like, 
Our prayer needs to be very genuine before, before God. We need to be like in the Spirit. We need to be present with Him, speaking to Him and hearing Him throughout the day. Then in chapter 6, I've only taken half of our time to give you this introduction. Paul begins to talk about how our Christian freedom, first of all, is to have an effect on others. That's where he's going with it. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brethren, if uh, a man is overtaken by a, a sin, you who are spiritual, you, you need to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you find yourself in the same mess he's in. You who are walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, because you have found freedom in Christ, and He is in you. He is leading you. He is producing this new life in you every day. Now you need to be focusing on others. You need to be restoring others, verse 2 of chapter 6. You need to be bearing the burden of others. Then you move down into verses 7 and 8, and Paul throws down that universal law of sowing and reaping, which is kind of interesting. Do not be, de do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And he just gets them thinking about this. You're free. You're filled with the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. Okay, now, now don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can sow whatever you want, wherever you want, without consequence. We all sow and we all reap from what we sow. If you sow to the flesh, you are just of the flesh going to reap corruption. There's grave consequences. But if you sow to the Spirit, how do you sow to the Spirit? Well, you that are tuning in right now, and you're, you're leaning in right now, you worshiped with us, you prayed with us, you're opening your Bible, and you're actually like, Lord, speak to me tonight, you're sowing to the Spirit right now. You who are sowing to the Spirit, you will, of the Spirit... God is going to produce something in our lives. You're going to reap rewards. Part of those rewards are going to happen right here tonight in your life moving forward. And, 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 and part of the reaping is going to be eternal. You will, of the Spirit, reap everlasting life. With all of that in mind, we move to verse 9 and we read again, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So if we take into mind what we just considered, you who are free, you that are spiritual, being filled by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, living after the Spirit, you that are spiritual, you're restoring others, bearing the burden of others. You that are walking 
after the sowing, after the Spirit, not after the flesh. You guys, let us not grow weary. Don't lose heart while doing good. Doing good is stated in both 9 and verse 10. He's talking about good works that are that we are called to do as Christians. God's work that he does and produces in and through our life. The Judaizers would come in and they would say, you know, you need to be doing good work. And they would list off what that is in order to be saved. But that is false teaching. It's not the message of the gospel. We do not do good works in order to to be saved, but we do good works because we are saved. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says that we are saved. By grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works, of our work. It is something we would boast about if we did do that work. But it is not. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us and he redeemed us so that we would do good works. We look at the Old Testament. We would see God choosing a man by the name of Aaron. And the good work that he would want to do in his life would be, man, Aaron, you are going to do the good work of being a priest. God would choose Elijah and, and Isaiah, different prophets, and he would choose them. And, and a Jeremiah, even before he was conceived, God had ordained, chose him for the good work of being a prophet. Every one of us who are born again, God chose us with a purpose in mind for a good work that he has ordained for us in mind. There are people today, as Christians, and, and you've talked to them, I've talked to them, and they feel maybe inadequate, they feel unworthy, they feel undeserving, maybe they feel not qualified. We, we've met many of those Christians that just feel like, you know, I don't know, I'm saved, or, but, but I just, you know, they give you their reasons why they are not really doing anything as unto the Lord. God is not producing any work through their life. We might run into a lot of Christians today that would say, well, I'm limited by a worldwide pandemic. Understand that God is not bound by our limitations. Understand it this way, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me, let me say that in the way I've understood this. Lance, the work of God is God's work in your life. Both the will in your mind, the will, he has produced that in your mind. Don't you dare run around and, and think that you're some, you know, 
clever guy coming up with all of these clever ideas when it comes to the work of God that he is doing in and through your life. The will. It is God who works in us both to will. The will to do that. The, the vision is from him. The, the one who saves is the one that gifts, is the one that he actually puts the ideas and the vision into our hearts and into our minds. And even the will, Paul, is like the will to do it. That is God. And, and the doing, it's, it's God doing it. It's the, it's the power and the, the producing of the Holy Spirit through my life. And it's for his good pleasure. So we should be without an excuse. There should be no excuse in a Christian's life when it comes to the good work that God desires to produce in their life. I don't care what stage, what age, what circumstances. It doesn't matter. God desires to continue to do his work through our lives. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. My dear friend Olivia Clark is in heaven. She gave my dad such a hard time down here. I can't think that she's not having some fun with him up there right now. But the last few years of her life, she... She needed some encouragement. She encouraged me so many years. And then being bedridden for a few years played with her head a little bit. And there were just a, a, a few times where this seasoned saint would need to be tuned up. Well, there were a lot of times she needed to be tuned up. But there were a few times that I had the opportunity of coming in and and all I would have to do is say, God is not done with you till he's done with you. As long as you have breath in those lungs, you can pray. And, and I don't want some defeated person praying for me. I don't want some discouraged person praying for me. Get out of your funk. Get your mind on him. You're going to go see him pretty soon. And I just would just go there, read some scriptures, and then it would pick her up, and she would always make sure that I knew she was doing great and all this. And, and she began to see her ministry in that bed. She had the sufficiency. She just had to tap into that sufficiency. And I know that, that just the conversations today are draining and, and discouraging. I know the updates. I, I completely fasted from any news when the election, I just stopped for like, I, Lord, you got seven days, I'm all ears. And I reshuffled everything. You know what I did. But, and I was so refreshed in the Lord. And then I, I know around here and the people that I run into who's really informed. And I just, hey, so what's going on? They give me a little download. And I go, okay, that's enough. That's enough. No more. And, and I could see it weighing on Christians. I could see it weighing on the body of Christ. It's, it's weighing on marriages, weighing on Christian marriages, weighing on Christian families. And, 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 and this passage, Paul is talking from a very confident position to Christians who are being opposed a lot more vehemently than we are today. And he's like, look, 
let us not grow weary in doing good. I, I, I like it. While doing good. It's like, don't ever stop doing God's work. Don't ever stop doing that good. Jesus said to the disciples who he knew would face fierce opposition after he would ascend to heaven. Matthew 5, 17, he would say earlier on, you guys let your light so shine before men. You let it shine before men that they may see your good works, the work that I'll be doing through your life and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't care what color a governor puts on our state or on our county. I kind of like red because we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. But nothing should alter what he has done in our heart. He has billboarded himself among us. He has evidenced the fact that he is our Savior. He has evidenced lordship in so many powerful, life-changing ways that we have no excuse to stop doing the good work of the Lord. The question is, am I doing God's good work today? Am, am I personally, you know, seeking the Lord? It's, we got together with our staff today and we kind of get an update on what we believe God is leading us to do and let's pray and we're every day, Lord, give us more vision for today. <laughs> give us wisdom, man. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, but you do. Give us some wisdom and favor. Please give us favor and, and keep us healthy. Great prayer. A great prayer. And not just, just pray it for the church. Pray for you. And then just, what do, you, what, what do you want to do? If you're working, you should be thanking the Lord. I was, you know, going to a car wash the other day. And, and, and as I was at the car wash, the guy, you know, I, I realized he was, he was, he was talking. And some people in these establishments today aren't talking. It's like we're all living behind you know, plexiglass and, and masks, and I, I don't know what's coming next, but, you know, and he, and he started talking to me. He just wanted to talk, and I'm like, all right, let's talk, and he says, I'm just so excited that I have a job, and I'm like, great, bro. I'm, yeah, maybe high five, or knuckles, whatever we can do in your establishment here. He says, no, no, really. I am so honored to get up and work, and he just went into this whole thing, and People are looking at him. He just had a moment with me. And I thought, here's a guy working behind a cash register. He is up. He is at it. He is excited. He's not ashamed about it. He is like, he's the model car wash guy. There is no doubt in my mind that that guy was, was convinced that is who he should have been that day. And, and what about us as Christians? I don't know if he was a Christian, but he had joy because he was standing behind that, that counter and it, he, he lifted me up. I'm going to go get my car washed there again. How about you? You that are watching online, 
you that are like, you know, I don't know, this pandemic thing, you know, it's kind of the limitations. God is not limited by a pandemic. He is just not. And God, you know, as, as he has chosen to use redeemed people, he is continuing today and tomorrow to use redeemed people to get the message out, to demonstrate in a pandemic what faith looks like in conquering fear. He is looking into all of our hearts right now, every one of our hearts right now, and he wants to encourage us, and he wants to strengthen us, and he's like really doesn't want us to grow weary while we are doing good. There are a lot of people who have the manana complex when it comes to doing the work of God, the good work of God. i got to get through this right now, manana, I'll get to the God thing. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. It's just, Solomon's looking around, he's like, yeah, there's certain people, their, their makeup is like, yeah, I'm so, you know, the, I got to get out and sow. It's just really important that I get busy sowing, but it's just, it's so windy today. Manana. There's others who are like, ah, you know, it's too cloudy today. Manana. And there's a lot of Christians that have their manana reason for not getting up, stepping out in faith, seeking the Lord, hearing from Him, having His Word be that lamp unto their feet today, that light unto their feet tomorrow, putting feet to their faith and just going, let's go, let's go today. I don't care how much wind, I don't care how much cloud, I don't care how much corona. God, if, if i got to reach people from my bed, that's where I'm going to reach them. You show me how to do it. If I'm going to reach them from my house, that's when I'm going to do it. If you want to get me outside of my house, you give me the faith to do it and let's go do it. You know what the devil's favorite day is? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's favorite day. Jesus ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well, sharing about her need for living water that he was there to offer and the fact that he was the Messiah. She goes into town. I met a man, man. He told me everything I've ever done. I think I've found the Christ. And many of them like, hmm, let's go check this guy out. The disciples also came back. They, they went in to town. They got some food. And as they came back, they marveled that Jesus was even talking to this Samaritan woman, this sinner. This person that these good Jewish boys were told never to, to come in contact with. Samaritans. Now you brush up against one of them, you're washing your clothes, you're taking a shower. Jesus is now talking to like one of the worst of them. He's an immoral woman, and she's a Samaritan. They go to get food, they come back, and they're like, oh man, still hung up on all their traditions, still hung up on, on, on all their culture. And they, they're like, Jesus, come on, you know, it's, it's time to eat. And Jesus says, I have food which you do not know. 
And they're like, look, well, who brought him food? He sends us away. Who beat us to the punch here? They kind of, you know, that's, eh, these guys. But Jesus said, my food, and listen to this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, guys, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Don't say that. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. The question would be like this. How many people around your world do you think during the pandemic, those that are lost, how many do you think Jesus wanted to reach with you? You see, the fields are white with harvest right now. It's not like, oh, man, wait till after the pandemic and then, you know, the, the gospel, it's on, man. He's like, no, 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 they are white right now. How many Christians around you need their faith built by you right now? How many Christians, if you're in your home right now, that you know if the Lord would have put it on your heart as you're sitting in your couch, your chair, your whatever, send them the link. Send it to them right now. You would be like so in tune with the Lord that you've already done that. How many there in your home right now, there's 10 times, 20 times the amount of people watching online that are on this property, which are on this property. So I want to talk to you that are not here. How many of you would pick up the phone sometime tomorrow and between sometime now and tomorrow you'd be saying, Lord, who is it that I should call? Who is it that I should just say, how were, how, how were you doing? And how can I pray for you? And you do it. Don't say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Right now, the fields are ripe with harvest. Jesus was like, this gal and these Samaritans are right in front of us now. Who is in front of you now? Who would you, you maybe just, oh, I just didn't see that. Oh, I haven't thought about them. I didn't think they were my responsibility. It's that kind of a deal. We need to know the time of God. We need to know the timing of God and be sensitive to the timing of God. God's time is always the opportune time to do good works. The idea of losing heart and growing weary, let's talk about that. The, the, the idea behind that, the Greek means to become exhausted and to, to, to give up. Weary has even the idea of, of like fainting. Fainting out of exhaustion or whatnot. But these, two, these two phrases, they're the, they're the opposite of what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where it says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And Paul knew this. Paul, this guy who was how many times incarcerated, stoned with stones, shipwrecked, 
beaten with whips. He, he knew what it was like to toil and to tarry and to be completely, radically opposed in ways that would take most people out. And he's the dude telling us, ah, don't be growing weary while you're doing good. Don't, don't lose heart while you, you're doing good. In other words, it's very possible to not grow weary while you are doing good. I was thinking about this the other day. How many times I ask people, you doing good? You doing good? And, and, and all day today I go, I could never say that to someone. Not, not, I could never say that to a Christian again without thinking about this passage. You see, we say it and the term means, are you doing all right? I think we need to start asking questions a little more deliberately and a little more directly and a little more personally and a little bit more like in line with God's word. Are you doing good? Yes. Praise God. The good work of God. It's a good question to be asking each other. Maybe make a call or two tomorrow and say, you doing good? And they're going to say, oh, I'm doing fine. They're going to tell you all, they're like, yeah, health is good. No, no, no. The good work of Take them to this verse. Blow their mind. Have fun with it. James says, oh, let me wind this up. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. My prayer as we, we go through this pandemic is that we're not growing weary while we're doing good. The promise, church, don't lose this. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. What a promise. I got about 60 other scriptures here, but time's not going to let us do it. Therefore, lastly, as we have opportunity, let us do, do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The word opportunity here, uh, keros in the Greek, it refers to a specific time, to like this real specific time, like a fixed, distinct period of time. And it could refer generally to our period of time here on earth, or it could refer to a specific period of time that God wants to do a specific good work in and through your life. As we were talking today, some of the volunteers, they, the guys come in every day and cook and do all kinds of, take stuff out. And we had a, a request that came in for a, and we get into the details, but a, a, a well-known person that's taken ill. Their, their family wants to keep it on the down low and and they just, they reached out, and it came to our church. And the, the hospital and the staff and all these, these people. I began to think about this, and what would it be if one of my loved ones right now was hospitalized, and I started thinking about the caretakers, and I told this person when they reached out to me late last night, I said, what is it that we can do? And they, well, you guys are known for like really good meals and stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, but what else? And I'm thinking the spiritual part of it. How can we get to the people? 
And I put a, a text out late last night, and it was just like five or six responses back. Yeah, let's just do this. Let's just... what. And this is, this is what is in our heart. And this is for people we don't even know. This is, this is for people that might be saved, might not be saved. We don't know. But we do know the good work of God. We know it. It's, there's something familiar to it. There's, a, there's a, a draw to it. You just know God's in it and God's going to use it. And so... You, you don't get to see this a lot if you're not maybe around here on a regular basis or hear about it. But to come here this morning and all these people are showing up and they're just rolling up their sleeves and they're going to be making this, I don't want to get you hungry or anything, but a really good smoked meal for people we don't even know. And it, 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 there's only one reason to do this. So we can get in front of them. So we can let them know that we love them, that this is a church, we love you, we're praying for you, and, and, and somehow share the gospel with these people, especially the loved one that could be on death's door. Let us do. The Greek, it's, it's a word that means to be active, to be diligent, to be on, just to be on top of it. You know, we're not always going to have the opportunities that we have. Revelation 12, it talks about Satan and uh, his being cast down to earth. And it, it says that, you know, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, amen, uh, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. You want to know why he works so crazy just nonstop? He knows he has a short time, a limited time. Let that sink in. One commentary I read on that verse remarked this. Satan has, is, Satan is sharpened to the greater zeal in injuring us by the shortness of his time. Let us be sharpened to the greater zeal in well-doing by the same shortness of our time. So let us do good. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, believer, non-believer, especially those of the household of faith. Early on in the pandemic, there were a lot of people coming to the church and um, it was during the stay home order and they'd come during the day, lots of people, and they would ask, can we, can we come? Can we just come? And I said, I've never told a person they can't come. I'm never going to tell a person they can't come. We'll figure out a way. And so under the vision and ministry of Calvary Disaster Relief, we found a lot of stuff for people to do on Sundays and Wednesdays. And there was one such lady, I won't name her, but she was, she just came. She decided, I just, I just have to be here. She's an older lady. And I said, I understand, I understand. And she says, what can I do? I, I hear you online talking about stuff that's going on around here. And that's all I said is, well, show up tomorrow morning and you tell me. That was seven and a half months ago. I have never come here and not seen this lady passionately serving 
giving of her time, baking the most amazing goodies. I've gained way too much weight. She needs to slow down on all that. Why am I saying that? Because God put something in her, a good work in her heart. And I'm now passing on what impact she's made on my life and on my faith. And that's going to make an impact on you and your faith. That's why we, we never stop doing good. Especially as it relates to the household of God. Early on, we put out that word, start making calls. Perfectly, you never stopped making calls. You that were making calls, hopefully you're still making calls. We have a bunch of people meeting in smaller groups, and that's obviously going to change somewhat because of things. But we believe that God is going to keep doing good work in and through his people until he comes and takes his people out of this place called earth. And we are going to reap. Let me read this passage in closing out of Leviticus chapter 26. It's a promise of blessing and retribution. You shall make, you shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves. You shall not Make your life about yourself and what you conjure up in your own mind. Nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your hand to bow down to it. I am the Lord your God. Do not bow down to anything but me. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Hmm. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down. None will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. And he goes on, all hinging. If, if I am the Lord your God, if you keep my commands, my statutes, and you perform them. We started off this whole study talking about what the gospel does in our lives. Primarily, it liberates us. From what? You got your list, I got my list. It definitely liberates me from me. It liberates me from the tyranny and the hold of Satan. It liberates me from the penalty and the power of sin. It liberates me from the wrath of God. I'm now a child of God. And I can go down that list. 
But it also liberates me in the fact that it frees me up to be his child. It frees me up to be his ambassador. It frees me up to be his soldier. No matter what is going on in the war, no matter what is going on in the battles, it liberates me to be a victorious child of God, a victorious ambassador, a victorious soldier of Christ. It liberates me for all of what he is called, gifted, and, and just saved me to be. That's a wonderful thing. And we are living in a country that if we go back, and on uh, next Wednesday night we're going to show a few clips on just the, the Mayflower Compact and, and just really what it was that these pilgrims were coming here to experience, what, what they really felt God was calling them to develop as far as governance in their life. And it's an amazing thing when we think about the real freedoms that we have and the freedoms that we have and how they are so at risk. Historians tell us that 97.5% of all people to ever live on this earth will have lived under the tyranny of a tyrant. Let that sink in. 97.5% of all people to ever live on this earth will never have experienced what you have experienced today in America with the freedom that you have. How have you used your freedom in this country, your freedom that you have in Christ as a saved, blood-bought, spirit-filled, gifted, child of God. How loud is that in your heart? How loud is that in your mind? How moving is that in your life? There's a lot of other loud things being said. A lot of other moving things in the lives of Christians. May this message, the gospel message, bring the freedom that Jesus designed to produce in all of our lives. Initially, bringing us into that place of being his child. Additionally, to that place of being his ambassador, his soldier, as we're living through a worldwide pandemic. Let's pray.